Blog Talk Radio. whether we're going to be able to do the episode right now or if we're going to have to restart because um, I didn't get on the computer as soon as I thought I was going to and I have totally messed this up when I was supposed to do it. So I'm going to uh, just ask you to hold on for a minute when I see if I can still get a hold of uh, our guest for today. And otherwise, uh, we will have to end up rescheduling. So just hold on just a minute. And and actually, I think what I'm going to do, so you have something to listen to while I try and get this figured out, is play the theme song again. So here we go. Hi, Sarah. Hi. I'm so sorry I'm late. Um, Oh, no, not a problem at all. Well, I'd like to apologize both to you and to everybody who's listening at home that might be delayed here. Uh, What happened was that my brother, who I wasn't expecting to come today, announced this morning we were going into town to buy panels, and it... (laughs) it, And I thought we were going to get here in time. He literally had... Well, it, it never mind. I... I really sorry that I didn't get on here and try it on. Oh, no, no problem at all. But I'm so glad that you could join us today. So um, since we're starting late, let's just kind of dive into it. My guest for today is uh, Susan uh, Thurlow, who talked about Dr. Tan, 
uh, at the Laura Palooza conference this year and did a really great job and I think inspired a lot of people to think a little bit more about Dr. Tan. In fact, I was talking uh, to Nicole from the Walnut Grove Museum yesterday and she wanted me to be sure to tell you that that uh, you, she found your, your presentation so interesting that she's hoping that you could help them put up a temporary exhibit on Dr. Tan at some point. Oh, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. So I love I'm, his story. So I will make sure that I get you her contact. But with that, why don't we go ahead and let you introduce yourself and say whatever you want to. Sure. Well, first of all, I'd just really like to thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity to be able to share more about Dr. Tan, who, who has lived with our family now for the last two years. And um, like yourself, I am a very proud member of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Legacy and Research Association. Um, I have been home educating since 1985 and also teach history, literature, grammar, and writing at a classically-based study center for home-educated children. So that's a little bit of my um, educational background. I have also written two elementary study guides for two Newbery Award-winning novels, Sarah Plain and Tall and The Wheel on the School. My husband Mark and I have six children and they are all very used to making the mandatory family pilgrimage to the Laura home sites. So like all of you, we are just very, um, we, we do that regularly. So uh, what, or for those of us, or for those listening that are less familiar with the series, uh, why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where Dr. Tan comes into the books. Well, Dr. Tan comes into Little House on the Prairie as the black doctor who saved the Ingalls' lives during an epidemic of malaria. And he is beautifully illustrated for us by Garth Williams in the 1953 edition of Little House on the Prairie. And so that's where we first meet him. The chapter is called Fever and Egg. I think I got the pronunciation of that correct, mm -hmm. Laura tells us in that chapter that Dr. Tan was on his way north to Independence when he met their bulldog Jack in the road. And Laura writes so sweetly that Jack begged him to come in, and there we have Dr. Tan finding the Ingalls pretty much near the point of death. He treated them for malaria and stayed about 24 hours before moving on to doctor the next group of settlers. So... Um, that is how we meet uh, the real Dr. Tan. So uh, in what Laura wrote about him, did she get anything wrong? Well, she she gets him pretty well right. Um, the, she, her, his name was misspelled in the book. Laura spelled his last name T-A-N. And in actuality, T, um, Dr. Tan was spelled with two N's. So um, if you can, if you go to his grave site today, you can see that it's uh, George A. Tan, T-A-N-N. But what I find really interesting about Dr. Tan is what she doesn't tell us about him. I mean, we know a little bit about him in in this chapter, but what she doesn't tell us about him is fairly significant, and it's consistent with. Um, what Laura, I remember reading one time that Laura had said that everything she wrote in her series was true or actually happened, but that she didn't always tell us the whole story. So Dr. Tan falls into that category of Laura's storytelling. Dr. Tan was actually a neighbor of the Ingalls, 
And I assume since he lived at that time less than a mile north that he at least knew Pa. Laura may never have seen him before. You know, she was only three um, during during that time at Little House on the Prairie. But um, Pa definitely would have known him. And I think that's why Jack, who is normally very protective, Laura tells us, I remember, you know, I mean, Jack scared half the settlement away. But um, Jack instinctively knew to let Dr. Tan in the house. So um, Dr. Tan knew there was a malaria epidemic, and he was probably checking in on his neighbors and probably very um, concerned when he saw a really anxious pet standing in the road. And um, I think that's that's why he that's why he uh, that's why Jack let him in. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And also, we're not used to thinking in terms of uh, epidemics today. Um, no, because, and I think. Back then, there was kind of an assumption if we were in an epidemic territory that um, once you know it, it once it started that you would check everywhere because the assumption would be more like they more likely have it than not. But it right is, exactly. But it is yeah, I agree with you. It, it's quite impressive that Jack let him in though because yeah, he always was presented as very protective and he must have somehow knew they needed help. Yes, yeah, I think that's really fascinating, and also I think it's pretty fascinating that um, you know they they that uh, Pa really knew knew Tan that Tan's very well. He knew he, he called him a black doctor to the Indians, and and that's exactly what he was, among other things. But um, yes, so yeah, I I love that that chapter. Okay, so how did you get interested in Doctor Tan? I mean, it just is one chapter in in the stories. Well, it is one chapter, but it's a really significant chapter. And I got interested in Dr. Tan because four of my children are black, and I wanted to help make the books that I loved as a child relevant for them. So when I began researching, um, this is a cute story. My youngest daughter, Annie, who is 10, she built uh, Dr. Tan's homestead out of Lincoln Logs in our living room and made rooms for his daughter, Stella and Naomi. (laughs) Now, we'd read all of Laura's books out loud to the children multiple times, but this was the first time that she had really shown an interest or related to the Laura stories. So I was really excited about that. And when I was preparing the research paper for Dr. Tan uh, at the Laura Ingalls Wilder Conference Laura Palooza, our daughter Esther and our son Franklin modeled a young Dr. Tan and Dr. Tan's daughter for the PowerPoint presentation. So they were involved, and that was really fun for them. And then our oldest daughter, Grace, painted all the watercolors for the presentation. So our children were very involved in the project. And I would like Laura's stories to be relevant for multi-ethnic families and all people of color because Laura really has a lot to say to us. So I really wanted to make her story, you know, there's always been a question, was Laura racist or is how can her, how can her stories be relevant for, um, for people of color? And they're very relevant and Dr. Mm-hmm. Tan speaks to that issue. And, and so I just wanted to expand on his story for not only my own family, but for the um, black community and all people of color. Well, that is certainly a worthy goal because that is one thing that um, they tend to get a, a, get criticism for is that they are yes. mostly um, 
the 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 majority of people who like them are are Caucasian girls, although it certainly yeah. isn't the only people who like them. Right, right. And you know, um it it's been said that more people have learned about the westward movement, um the western frontier and the american character through Laura Ingalls Wilder than um Frederick Jackson Turner, the great historian. So I I really firmly believe that and and um I think she just speaks uh she has a lot to say to all of us, um no matter what our ethnic backgrounds are. Yes, I think she certainly does um do an an awful lot um as as far as both telling people about history and telling people about um how giving thoughts on on morals oh yes and you know the the american character i think just she just she speaks to that so well and and i think that's why we love her book so much yes and I always, you know, I, I always find it so fascinating that, that when you talk to people, a lot of time um, they um, will, even if they don't really know much about Laura, she's sort of their touchstone to the past. Uh, there, yeah. was, there was a couple years ago I was at uh, the Jamestown Settlement, which is about 2,000 miles and 200 years wrong for being Laura, but uh, father brought in uh, his two kids, and that was the first thing out of his mouth. Look, it's a fireplace, just like Laura Ingalls Wilder. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. uh, Right, I know, yeah, she kind of crosses the board. uh, You know, she she crosses the gamut. So um, there is actually a book about Dr. Tan. It's kind of a collection of documents about his life. Uh, what do you think of the book? Was it helpful well, in getting it, you started? Oh, yeah, it's a fascinating book. And the name of it is A Doctor Fetched by the Family Dog by Eileen Miles Charbo. And actually, Sarah, it's not um, a book but a series of newspaper articles and documents on the Wilder family as well as on Dr. Tan that she put together when she was a Kansas State Historical Society librarian in the early 60s. So this is just a compilation of her research. And she began um, her research when she found out that Harper and Rowe were considering deleting the word Kansas in the 1963 edition of the series. So the publishers, uh, I guess, were unsure of the location, and they had reason to believe that Paz Homestead was in Oklahoma. So... um, as a Kansas State librarian, she began researching the exact location of Pa's cabin, and she found that Pa did indeed build a little house on the prairie in Kansas. And um, uh, the location was Rutland Township, which is a little west of Independence. And so in the process of this research, she became interested in Dr. Tan, and um, she began her research on his life in Kansas. So um, I really, really, really liked her book. Um, You can download it. It's a Google book now. And it was really helpful in helping me get started on on research of his life. Um, It was foundational in my own research. So what was, as you say, it is sort of a, a collection of research. What was your favorite document in it? Well, um, 
I used her research, research as a springboard for my own. Um, and as for my favorite, it would, I, you know, there's a lot of fascinating documents in there. There are Native American photographs. I mean, it's just a, a fascinating document. Um, and, but I would say that of all the documents in there, um, it would have to be, my favorite would have to be an 1855 Lycoming County, Pennsylvania land deed of Bennett Tan, who was George's father. And that land deed placed the Tan family as originally from Pennsylvania. So I could then focus my research on Dr. Tan's Pennsylvania years, his family background, his childhood, um, education, and medical training before he arrived in Kansas. So um, uh, that is that that was that was actually my favorite document. Well, it sounds like it was probably the most useful one then. For it was. It was definitely the most useful to me. Um, and um, we uh, we'll be talking more about that later. Um, but uh, yeah, that was definitely my favorite document. Okay, you said you had actually tracked, in your presentation at Laura Palooza, you had said that you'd tracked down the author of the book, um, Aline Miles Charbot, who, was, who yes. had helped identify the Ingalls home. And uh, was she able to tell you any more about Dr. Tan? Than oh, yes. Um, oh, yeah. Um, it was my husband, Mark, who suggested that we try to find Aline Charbot. I mean, it was just... Um, a real, I, I was really surprised, but I was excited. Um, we located her in a retirement community in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In Santa Fe, New Mexico, we had found some magazine and newspaper articles about her um, as she was over a hundred years old. So this was back in um, 2011. So I sent her a letter, and she wrote me back and told me, um, communicated with me that she was blind. So in actuality, all she could really do was write a very few difficult-to-decipher comments on the letter that I had written her. So she actually sent my letter back with just some comments um, next to the questions that I had asked her. So, um, uh, yeah, she, she was, it was really exciting uh, to be able to find her. Well, it, it, it is exciting because as as a group as a whole, Laura fandom seems to be in, informal enough that a lot of times people who were kind of come in for a bit and do some big things, and then they just kind of disappear. And when their only connection to people, for the most part, was through Laura, you know, you never know quite what happened to the person. And sometimes they go off to do other things, sometimes they move, sometimes you know, who knows what's happened. But it's always good, I think, to kind of find out what did happen to somebody. Yes, yeah. And, um, you know, she was really helpful in telling me a little bit more about Dr. Tan because um, one of her comments was that she suggested that the Tans were known as islanders. And it took me forever to figure out what she meant by islanders. Um, but I made an educated guess um, and put two and two together and and uh, you know, George Tan's physical description from old letters was of a very dark man, about five foot ten, 180 pounds, with no trace of Caucasian features. So this could identify him as from the Caribbean islands. So I think that's probably what she meant by islanders. 
the um, the 1793 Haitian slave revolt brought many French with their slaves to America. So um, this could have been uh, Dr. Tan's family background. His it, it, and I think what's interesting is that his father's name was spelled. Um, B-E-N-N-E-T, like Bennett. And I think that could possibly be derived from the French word Benet, B-E-N-E-T. So I, I really think that there is a, that there's a strong likelihood that this family was from the Caribbean islands and particularly the island of Haiti. Um, so that was a really exciting, um, uh, discovery that I was able to make after I'd written her and she had given me some information. Another, another. Um, this is something that I would really like to track down, but I was able to read in, in her very difficult to read writing that at one point that there was a newspaper picture of Dr. Tan which appeared in an independence paper showing him standing beside a team hitched to a hay rack. And I have not tracked that one down. You know, I'd have to do a little bit more research on that one, but I thought that would be really great to be able to find. Oh, yes, it would be. So um, do you just want to kind of walk us through Dr. Tan's life sort of chronologically? Oh, sure. Yeah, I would love to. Um, Dr. Tan's birth date is a real tough one because there is no known birth certificate or recording of his of his birth. But census records point to his birth date as November 27, 1825, and he was born in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania. He spent most of his young life on the family farm around the present towns of Ellensport and Alvira, Pennsylvania. His fathers were free black farmers. His, fa- his parents were free black farmers, Bennett and Dinah Tan. And uh, his siblings, um, according to the census report that I was able to find, um, were Morris and Washington. And uh, his siblings were Morris and Washington, his brothers, and then Martha and Elizabeth. And I just absolutely love those names. I mean, they are so American and they are so patriotic. I thought a family with Morris, George, Washington, Martha, and Elizabeth has got to be an awesome family. Yes. Um, (laughs) He was most likely educated in a home or a rented storefront, as were most African-American children in that area. Now, his community was a deeply religious one and very committed to the abolition of slavery. Um, He worked as a farm laborer for his father until he was old enough to leave home. And then he moved to the neighboring community of Danville, where in 1860, or approximately 1860, he met and he married Catherine Thompson. Now, at the time, blacks were not legal citizens until 1868 with the implementing of the 14th Amendment. So their marriage would not have been a civil ceremony or recognized in the eyes of the law. Now, they may have had a scripture ceremony, what they called a scripture ceremony, or a large banquet for friends and family, as was traditional for blacks at that time. So uh, George and Catherine had a son, William, uh, and George supported his new household on a peddler's income. So I think that he became familiar with the herbal remedies and the homeopathic medicines he was known for during this time in his life. Uh, Now, right around 1862, 
when blacks were legally um, able to enlist in the Union Army, he enlisted in the 99th Pennsylvania Regiment. And um, most Laura biographers, as well as Charbot, believe that he received his medical and his surgical training while he was enlisted. However, there really aren't any documents to show his enrollment in medical school, which was not unusual, or um, as most blacks learned by apprenticeship and were self-taught. So um, uh, that's, why, that's why we are thinking that he probably received medical and surgical training while enlisted. Um, after the war, unfortunately, George and Catherine's marriage did not last, and George Tan, who is now known as Dr. George Tan, uh, relocated to Kansas with his parents where they purchased property neighboring the Ingalls. And this is where we're introduced to Dr. Tan as he treats was, the Ingalls family for malaria. Go ahead, Sarah. I, I was just going to ask, what was the first document you found that referred to him as Dr. Tan rather than than just his, his name or that's a really good question. It is on the census report of 1870 where he is listed um, in front of Pa. And he is listed as part of the Tan family. And I think, I think, now I need to look back at my document. It either says Dr. George Tan or it says George Tan Physician. One or the other. But that is, but that's where we first see him as Dr. George Tan, where he considers himself at this point a doctor, and he has been. I mean, the, um, the, the, what he would have learned in the Civil War and on those battlefields would have, um, been, would have been great experience and great training for anyone interested in the medical profession. Yeah, it was um, really trial by fire, and they, they, were, it inventing, was. they were inventing a yeah. lot of the medical knowledge right there on the battlefront. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so we're introduced to Dr. Tan here, and he treats the family for malaria in Little House on the Prairie. And um, what Laura didn't tell us in her book, but she does record in her personal papers, is that Dr. Tan also delivered her sister, Carrie Ingalls, on August 3, 1870. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that was um, that's, that's a really significant part of uh, Dr. Tan's story. Uh, Dr. Tan remarried, and he and his wife, Eliza, had two daughters, Stella and Naomi. Uh, this is an interesting um, time in his life because the girls grew up and were educated in Kansas where they lived primarily with their mother. Uh, their father also resided, Dr. Tan also resided in Oklahoma, and he practiced medicine on both sides of the Kansas-Oklahoma state line. Now, you remember where... Uh, Dr. Tan lived, and the Ingalls lived, was a, a three-mile-wide strip across the lower tier of southeast Kansas. So it was very easy to cross the Kansas-Oklahoma state line. And at that time, the Oklahoma schools were racially segregated, and Kansas schools were not. So obviously the Tans wanted their daughters to have the best education possible. They, you know, Dr. Tan's education would have been at home or, um, you know, in a rented storefront done, you know, uh, conducted by probably a church missionary organization or something. He wanted his girls to have a good education as well. And so that, at, at, so that is why the decision was made to have the girls uh, live primarily in Kansas while their father worked in both and resided in both in both states. Um, 
Dr. Tan had a thriving medical practice. He had offices in Dewey and also neighboring Bartles, which was 35 miles south of Independence in the current state of Oklahoma, and he also became the first doctor in the Cherokee Nation area. Now, Dr. Tan specialized in eclectic medicine, and eclectic medicine is the forerunner of our modern naturopathic medicine, which at that time combined herbal remedies with physical therapy. It was very popular during um, the mid-19th century. Um, it was a very respected form of medicine, and um, he also practiced surgery and obstetrics in the area, and he was widely respected for his excellence in surgery. He delivered babies for the what they termed the best families in the area, and he was known for his compassionate care for the sick and the dying, also for his reasonable rates. He he had a he had a very thriving practice. He charged very reasonable rates. He also opened up a convalescent home called the Hospital House, and we'll talk a little bit later about that. Um, but in addition to his medical practice, Sarah, this is what I find really fascinating. He began investing in real estate. Now, he owned 160 acres in the present-day community of Wayside, um, which, is, which is just right outside, uh, or right where today the little house on the prairie site is. Um, it's a whistle stop. Uh, wayside. Now, he, he also inherited his parents' 160 acres. He acquired an additional 80 acres adjoining his farm, and he purchased another 50 acres in Wayside as well as multiple Independence Town properties. Now, there's an interesting side note to one of these purchases. It was with um, black farmers Anderson and Emma Carroll, who were also neighbors of the Ingalls. So at that time, you know, for a, for a brief period of time, there was almost like a classless society that existed among native white and black settlers of the area. And I find that fascinating that there was also another black family in the, who were neighbors of the Ingalls at the mm -hmm. time. Um, Dr. Tan was forced to retire in 1902 um, due to changes in Kansas and Oklahoma medical training requirements, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But he, he retired when he was 67, and he died seven years later in 1909 after a heart attack. Um, he had a horse and buggy accident. His memorial services were held at the Black Baptist Church in Independence, and that service was attended by both black and white. He he really was a dearly loved and respected member of the community. And I would, I would like to share with you and your listeners um, of what the Independence newspaper said um, upon his death, that, quote, he was a leader among his race and his familiar figure will long be missed. I mean, he was, he was a dearly, dearly loved member of the community. So that is kind of his life in a nutshell. So... Uh you were able to track down and confirm a few things that Charo wasn't. What are some of those facts? Okay. Um, Eileen Charbo basically focused on Dr. Tan's years in independence, and my research focused on his early years in Pennsylvania. Um, I was also able to fill in some gaps in Charbo's research of his time in Kansas. Uh, 
Now, Sharbo was unable to connect the dots in the unusual wording of the 1855 Lycoming County Tan land deed that she uncovered. And this, like I said before, was my favorite document because this placed them in Pennsylvania. But there was also some interesting wording in that document that got me going on a lot of great research. The deed stated that the Tans had been living on the 75 acres they were purchasing for 13 years prior to buying it for $50. And this was the most interesting and the most difficult piece of the puzzle for me to put together um, as well. Now, Eileen had assumed that the Tans had been at one point owned by the Youngmans. I mean, there was a distinct possibility. There had been some letters that said, oh, yes, Dr. Tan told us that he had been a slave. Um, and now she'd assumed the Tans had been at one point, again, owned by um, the man who sold the property to the Tans. His name was George Youngman. And um, Eileen thought that perhaps they'd been slaves and that perhaps George was named after George Youngman as it was a common practice of the day for slaves to take their owners' names. However, I spent extensive time with the Lycoming County Courthouse Recorder on the phone, and we looked at George Youngman's properties where indentured servants would be listed and slaves registered. And George Youngman had multiple properties. The Tans were not listed as indentured servants, nor were they listed as slaves. So the question was, if they weren't slaves or they weren't servants, what was the free black family doing on the Youngman's property? So. Um, while I was doing some research on black history, which was put together by the Pennsylvania Historical Commission, um, they stated that 92% of free African Americans were agricultural workers employed as quote-unquote cottagers or tenant farmers while they earned potential for eventual purchase of the land. So George Youngman actually employed the Tans and during those 13 years that they lived on that property. And their earnings were going to the eventual purchase of the land. So I was able to put the pieces of the land deed puzzle together. And then I was able to pinpoint the property location with help from Lycoming County historical researcher Mary Ginter. Um, uh, so that was one of the... Um, uh, one of the areas that I was able to track down um, and and um, kind of put together a little bit of their background. Eileen had been really confused about that land document. And I also wanted to know how George received his education. And uh, Eileen Charbo knew that George was literate, but she wasn't able to put the pieces of his education together outside of the slave context where slave children sometimes were educated by their owners. Uh, now, I was able to find a recent historical survey of the black community in Williamsport. And Williamsport, unbelievably, is within a few miles of the Tan property. So finding this historical research paper on the black community in Williamsport was really helpful to me. And it indicated that African-American children were taught in rented storefronts or homes at that time. Um, Williamsport was also a very highly religious community and very active in the Underground Railroad. So the Tans were most likely a religious family, and they may have had some connections with the Underground Railroad, although that is purely speculation on my part. Um, and then Charbel loses the Tan Trail between 1860 and 1870, <clears throat> and I had some help on that one from Mary Ginter, again, the historical researcher as well. And Mary sent me many census documents and tax records, 
and one 1860 census document revealed Tan's career as a peddler in the Danville, Pennsylvania area, which was totally unknown to any Tan researcher up until now. I was really, really excited about that. I mean, looking at Dr. Tan's name and then peddler next to it was just really, really fun for me. Now, this document also confirmed that Catherine, their infant son, William, and Catherine's mother-in-law were part of his household. And um, so that was also a very um, fun discovery to make. And then uh, my husband and I were thrilled to uncover during my research, um, Dr. Tan's military service in the 99th Pennsylvania. And Charbo had searched unsuccessfully for his Civil War service records, and I know that Donald Zockhart had also said in his biography of Laura, which I absolutely love, that he had been a Civil War soldier. But of course, there, are no, there were no records to prove that. These were just assumptions. Um, now, the Union Army legally enlisted blacks after July 17, 1862, and approximately 200,000 black soldiers served in the Civil War. And because of the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, we were able to locate Dr. Tan because of newly released records. So we did locate him in the 99th Pennsylvania, and we sure had a great time visiting Gettysburg National Military Park, and we found out where the 99th fought during that battle, oh, and wow. we stood on top of it. was so exciting. Um, the, there are many monuments to the 99th. Um, uh, we were able to stand at the top of Little Round Top, and we looked down um, at uh, Devil's Den, which is where, um, during the second day of that three-day engagement, the 99th fought, um, and they battled Texans and Georgians down there. And then on the third day, they defended the Union against General Pickett's charge, and you can see the monument to the 99th next to General Meade's headquarters. And that was just that was wonderful. I mean, um, we went around taking pictures of all the monuments to the 99th and talked to some people there. So it was exciting to think about Dr. Jan Tan actually serving there. And then um, I think finally um, the most exciting discovery for me personally that I made was the second meeting of Laura and Dr. Tan. And she didn't record this meeting um, for um, many reasons probably, but but she does record in her papers um, in Folder 1 uh, of the Laura Ingalls Wilder papers called Indian Territory to Plum Creek that Dr. Tan delivered her sister Carrie. And when I read this, I went down to my Laura Ingalls Wilder biography section in my house. And I looked at William Anderson. I looked at Donald Zockard. And I looked at, is it Pamela Smith-Hill? Is that right? Yep. Yes. Is that Pamela Smith-Hill? I looked at all that and I said, okay, that someone has written this before. Somebody knows that I couldn't find it anywhere. And I'm jumping up and down saying, Dr. Tan delivered Carrie Ingalls all over the house. I was so excited. So that was a very, that was a really fun, um, fun discovery. And on top of that, I loved being able to write Eileen Charbo. And Eileen had wondered whether that might be the case. She kind of speculated in her documents that I wonder if Dr. Tan delivered Carrie Ingalls. And of course he did. So, um, that was really exciting for me. So that, that is that a great kind, find. It really is. It was, a, it was a really great find. It really was a great find. Um, so those were the things I was able to track down and confirm um, that Sharbo wasn't and just kind of build a little bit on her research. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the hospital that Dr. Tan established. Oh, yeah. Um, he had a convalescent center, and it was called the Hospital House. And 
um, it was located on Coon Creek, which is right outside of Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and Eileen took pictures of it. It was abandoned but still standing back in the 80s, and I don't know if it stands or not today, but it was a 16-room home uh, where patients who were too sick to return home or had no one to care for them were cared for, and he cared for his stepmother Mary here until her death. And uh, Dr. Tan was a great believer in fresh air and sunshine, and his it, and there are reports that his patients could be seen recuperating out on the lawn and as they were cared for by nurse housekeepers. And um, he also grazed cattle on this property, and he lived here himself when in the area. And there's actually a historic cemetery, the Beck Cemetery, west of the property, which was used by Dr. Tan and the patients who didn't quite recover and um and 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 it's still standing today so that's kind of a a little bit of a nut in a nutshell about his hospital house which is really really fascinating that he had medical offices as well as a hospital in the area it is and it's interesting it's in in, in, i think a lot of people who haven't done much work before they'd come would assume everything connected would be in kansas but to have it across the border in oklahoma is interesting too it is. It is interesting. Yes, um, he had um, some of. It is really interesting that he he his offices in um, Dewey and and Bartles were next to a blacksmith shop, and um, he had he practiced and and dispensed his medicines from from this from this little uh, shop that he had there. And uh, yeah, yeah, he practiced on both sides of the line. So uh, there was some confusion over his property. Were you able to figure that out? Um, yeah, his his wife sold the Wayside Farm after his death um, with all his personal papers and his medical records in it. Um, she was distraught at the news of his death, and she wouldn't go near the property. So we don't have a whole lot to go. I mean, we have nothing to go on as far as anything personal that he owned. But the property, it was owned by an oil company in the 80s, and um, I have not researched the status of the property now. But, um, yeah, that's that's the... That's the story, a little bit of the story about that of that about that property. Uh, how did Dr. Tan die? Well, um, uh, Dr. Tan, let's see, Dr. Tan uh, died um, in March of 1909. Now, um, in 1902, he had been forced to retire. Uh, Kansas and Oklahoma both states required a diploma to be placed in their in in the office, um, and no diploma could be furnished. Um, and a physician, or I'm sorry, and if no diploma could be furnished, a physician was required to pass a medical exam. And Dr. Tan had no diploma, and he didn't appear for the medical exam. So he was forced to retire in 1902, which was kind of a uh, a sad note to the ending of his career, but he continued to practice um, unofficially. Um, so um, uh, he died uh, seven years later in 1909. He was returning home to Wayside with a two-horse team um, after he had, had finished his regular visit with his wife, Eliza, in Independence. And apparently the team startled and they bolted through the gate that Dr. Tannen opened for them and it, it knocked him off his feet. And he picked himself up, and he walked a quarter mile to the barn, and there he had a heart attack, and his body was discovered in the morning. In death, Dr. Tan was given an unusual honor by the people of Independence. What's the story yes, on that? He was. It's a great, great story. He was given an unusual honor. And 
I found this fact in a paper written by a man by the name of Ron Summers, and he'd written a, a little bit of a, a paper um, which is in the Kansas State Historical Society um, um, with records on Dr. Tan. But, but he said, according to John Wesley, who was a resident of Kansas, who had been a farm laborer employed by Dr. Tan, um, and Dr. Tan employed many farm laborers and housekeepers to work his property. Um, and, and John Wesley, who is going to tell us this story, was um, 16 years old when he worked on Dr. Tan's property. And the community held Tan in such high regard that Dr. Tan was buried not in the traditionally held black section of the cemetery, but in a prominent spot in gratitude for his selfless service to the community. And I, I just find that fascinating. It really is. I, I think it, it just shows how well he was uh, thought of by pretty much everybody that they'd give him an honor like that. Yes, everybody knew him. He was he was well known in the area, and you know he'd been practicing um, medicine there for um, you know close to thirty years, and um, he he was widely respected, widely known, dearly loved, and a very prominent member of the community. Uh, so can you tell people how to find his grave? Sure. He's buried in the historical Mount Hope Cemetery. Um, I may not have uh, said that clearly, in the Mount Hope Cemetery in Independence, Kansas. His wife, Eliza, who died in 1931, is also there, and their daughter, Naomi, um, uh, his son-in-law, Alvin McCullough, as well as Eliza's foster children. Eliza not only raised Stella and Naomi, but she had four foster children who she raised, uh, and um, um, they are all buried at in the historical Mount Hope Cemetery. And what I find interesting is that the pastor of the Main Street Baptist Church, who uh, was Reverend Charles Teal, presided over Dr. Tan and Eliza's funeral um, service 22 years later. So um, that's where that's where they all are now. The, to find Dr. Tan's grave, if you're if you're going for it, you can see the the cemetery from sort of the main highway through town, but you actually get in through the back. You're going down the main road that kind of splits it in half. You're going almost all the way to the wall to the last road, and mm -hmm. then you turn right, and then Dr. Tan's grave's on the right hand side. Oh maybe roughly a third of the way in, but it's a standing upright stone, and you ought to be able to spot it. So if anybody wants to try and find it, it's certainly a very doable thing, and we hope that you will certainly add that to any trip that you take to Independence. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's definitely worth the trip. So uh, apart from Laura, one of his Dr. Tan's other kind of brief, um, brief famous um attributes is that he had a fairly famous probate. Do you want to yes. tell us about that? Well, it's a pretty charged question. <laughs> um, his probate is famous, and as well as his father, Bennett's probate is famous. In fact, Bennett Tan's handwritten will, which was done in 1882, was never properly administered, and his unsettled will became the longest case of legal problems in the, in the county. Um, it was finally settled in 1936, long after all the people were in debt were dead. So Dr. Tan inherited that legal mess, as well as some controversy of his own. Um, 
Dr. Tan did not have a will when he died. So when William George Tan, who was Dr. Tan's son from his previous marriage to Catherine Thompson, appeared in the Independence Courthouse one year after Tan's death, he apparently caused quite a scandal in the community. And and I read this in those in the paper that Ron Summers had written where he told us also about Dr. Tan's um uh interesting um, spot in the in the cemetery but William and his lawyer claimed that Tan's second marriage to Eliza should be declared null and void as Tan had never legally divorced his first wife Catherine so um, to back this up William and his lawyer presented a document to the court now it was not a marriage certificate but it was a statement by a woman who claimed to have witnessed Tan's marriage in Pennsylvania um, I don't doubt that the woman witnessed um, that the woman witnessed a marriage ceremony between George and Catherine. But what's really important to understand is black marriage in the 19th century from a cultural and a historical context. Um, George Tan was part of a community that was traditionally prohibited from practicing marriage as a legal civil contract. Now, free blacks before the Civil War were not slaves. But they weren't citizens with the right to enter into any civil contract, including marriage under the law, before the 14th Amendment. So the black community practiced marriage within the black cultural norms of the time. There would be no marriage license issued, and there wouldn't be a document attesting to a legal divorce. So when George remarried Eliza sometime between 1870 and 1875, they also did not have a marriage license attesting to a legal civil contract. So George and his son William, um, George's son William and his lawyer come waltzing in, and they claim that the illegitimacy of the second marriage, and they don't have a legal leg to stand on. So the judge acknowledged William as George's son and one of the rightful heirs, but not the sole heir. Um, so half of George Tan's twenty thousand dollar estate was divided equally between William and the Tan daughters, Stella and Naomi, and the other half was awarded to Eliza. So that's, that's a little bit of that, of that uh, story. Okay, I'm going to interrupt just one second. Because I got us started late today, for those of people who are, li- are listening live to the stream, it is probably it's going to go dead in about two minutes. We're going to finish out the full hour, though I think we've got it roughly uh, enough to talk about. So if, okay. you, if it does die, then you know you can catch up and just listen to the end on the archive because it will all be recorded. If anybody wants to call in, this should still work even after it, it stops streaming. Uh, the number that you could call in if you wanted to ask a question is one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. The chat room will also remain active until I close it down when we get all done. So if you want to make a question or comment through that, you can also do that. Okay. That's the official stuff out of the way. Um all right. So so it was George Tan's life certainly had a lot of scope to research. I mean, it seems like it was oh, a fairly interesting life, uh, even completely apart from the fact that he happened to run into a future children's author. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It was his own. Yeah, that that is so true. It was way bigger 
than I thought it was. I mean, I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into his life. It was it was actually um, fascinating. And um, before we before we end um, on the air, Sarah, I have a kind of a funny story. We barely made it to Laura Palooza this past July. We'd been evacuated during the fire, the Colorado Springs fire, um, and we had actually ten minutes to leave the house as we saw the fire up on the ridge behind our house. And um, oh, our daughter Kate, I know, our daughter Kate asked what we evacuated with. And I told her, well, okay, I grabbed the kids, I grabbed the dog, I grabbed my Bible, I grabbed Little House on the Prairie and the Dr. Tan paper. And she says, Mom, I can't believe you took Dr. Tan instead of our photo albums. So this kind of tells you what a diehard fan I am. <laughs> I just had to get that in before we ended. <laughs> oh, that is a very good story. <laughs> so Dr. Tan over the photo, family photo albums. That's right. Dr. Tan took precedence over any family member, but of course he is uh, right now one of our family members. Yes. How has well, become that? Yes, I, I could see how that would happen. People are always, um, uh, my cousin said, said that uh, Laura took over not only my life, but the life of everybody who knew me. I think that's true. So uh, I wanted to ask then, too, what do you see um, going now? Now we've, you presented at Laura Palooza. Are you looking towards, um, are you going to try and write your own booklet about him or try and get an article in one of the state historical societies? Or I sure would that? like to. I feel like this is the beginning of a great story, and I would like to see his story in every library and in every classroom in the country. I mean, this is a man of great significance during, um, during a time when um, – Oh my gosh. Um his story really is a remarkable one. I mean, he's a remarkable man. He was truly American in the best sense of the word. You know, he's a self-taught black physician and he's a real estate investor in a time when blacks were slaves and then became citizens of the United States. And he lived with the injustices of the reconstruction. Um and he selflessly served black, white, and native peoples in both Kansas and Oklahoma from, you know, uh, 1872 to 1909. And we can thank Laura for bringing a small part of his life to us. And um, and I I would just like to see this remarkable life made known to um, every school child alongside the Laura books. Um, I don't really know how that's going to happen, but I but I sure would like to work to that end. And um, just make put his story in the chapters of American frontier history. I think it's really important. So, as a uh, as a researcher, as you're working on his story, have you think that you've uncovered at least what's available for now, or do you have a question that you're currently working on? Well, that that's a good question. Um, I I think that for now, this is this is pretty much. Um, I I would pretty much stop here. Um, um, but you know, there there's a there's always a lot more to life than just what's on on paper. And I'm sure as I begin to, or as I continue this project, that I will uncover more fascinating details about his life. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Well, that's great. And I certainly appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, oh, I just had a ball. Thank you so much. Well, uh, before we wrap up, was there anything else that, that we didn't cover that you wanted to, to mention or put out there? No, I don't think so. I think I think okay. we got it, and I was hopeful okay. we could get it in an hour, and we did, so that's yeah. great. 
We are, uh, well, thank you for being on the show. I really, uh, your presentation at Laura Palooza was one of the ones that I enjoyed the most, so I'm very glad you could come on. And I fully agree that Dr. Tan is a fascinating character, and even though he doesn't get a very big mention in the the Little House story, I think that he does offer sort of a window into finding a whole nother chunk of what was going on in the pioneer life at that time. That I prob- think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that Laura as a child probably, and that's one thing about how she wrote the book, she wrote it in terms of what she was aware of at the time, so she probably wasn't aware of it, but I think we can use it as a um, springboard to find out more about it ourselves and to share that part of the story to connect things together and yeah i'm I'm always big on finding connections so i'm really glad that oh yes project well i'm excited about the project and i'm excited about continuing it as well and um sure appreciate uh, you putting the show together and appreciate all of the um, members of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Legacy and Research Association, and just really want to thank again Amy Louders and all of you who serve on the board um, for giving me the opportunity to present the his story. Well, thank you, and uh, I think that probably is about rounding it up. I'm gonna go ahead and put you in the, the green room, but you can actually hang up if you want to. Uh, I so, uh, before I. Um, end the program here I just wanted to uh, do one other thing I wanted to make sure that people knew uh, we ha- that we really have had a lot of people listening to the quilt episode which was the last one that we did and we were up to like 2,000 listens the last time I checked and that's been a few days ago. If you haven't listened to the quilt episode yet, I hope that you do. And Linda Halpin had asked me to go ahead and put in a correction so I wanted to go ahead and do that now. Uh, there, I had sort of asked her a follow-up question that she wasn't prepared for and she misspoke. So she wanted me to make sure everybody knew that the Williams Perkins that she mentioned was English rather than German. And while England got heavily involved in the dye industry, they were quickly outdone by Germany, who took the industrial lead in dyes. So... um, Thank you for being patient with... Soon we're going to be moving out to my building and everything there will be great for listening. So thank you. I appreciate you listening today and come back next time for more Trundle Bed Tales.